So let's get into the word this morning. In Luke chapter 12, we're talking about Jesus' call for watchfulness. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 35. Hear the word of God. Stay dressed and ready for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them, the servants that is, recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And Peter said, Lord, are you telling us this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect them at an hour he doesn't know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Father, Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the ministry of prayer. Thank you for the fellowship with the saints. Now we pray that you would anoint and set on fire this word from Jesus Christ himself about being ready and watchful for your return. We pray, Lord God, that you would convict us, transform us through the preaching of the word and through the power of the Holy Spirit, which you promised to be with us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in 1971, Curtis Mayfield wrote a song called People Get Ready. And it says, the song goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. I'll read the lyrics. People get ready. There's a train a-coming. You don't need no baggage. You just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the diesels humming. You don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. So people get ready, there's a train to Jordan, picking up passengers coast to coast. Faith is the key, open the doors and board them. There's hope for all among those loved the most. There ain't no room for the hopeless sinner who would hurt all mankind just to save his own, but have pity on those whose chances grow thinner, for there's no hiding place 
against the kingdom's throne. So people get ready. There's a train coming. You don't need no baggage. You just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the diesels humming. You don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. It's a great song. Well, the return of Jesus Christ is the next big event on the calendar of redemptive history. And it's something, it's, it's a thing that Christians tend to either obsess over or completely ignore. There's two things we, two ways we typically respond to the idea of the second coming of Christ. We think about it all the time or we completely ignore it. Now, people obsessed with the end times are always making charts and graphs, and every couple of years, some Bible teacher makes a prediction about the end of the world. Gets a whole bunch of folks uptight and selling their possessions, and invariably end up looking pretty silly. You can think of things like this just in the past 10 or 15 years. On the other hand, there are those who think so little about that event that it ceases to be the impetus for hope and spiritual alertness that it's meant to be. It's meant to be a cause for hope. The return of Christ is meant to be an impetus for spiritual watchfulness and alertness. And, um, but if we never think about the Lord's return, that there's a missing dimension in our daily walk with the Lord. The Lord's return is an event that is of absolute certainty, but it's totally unpredictable. So it's something that is absolutely going to happen according to Scripture, but it's completely unpredictable. It's something that we simply can't figure out the timing of. And so there are three things in this passage of Scripture we just read through that Jesus focuses in on relating to his return. Readiness, unpredictability, and watchfulness. So getting ready, knowing that it will happen at a time we don't expect, and then watching, be on the lookout. And the idea is to get ready because you don't know when the master is coming. In fact, the whole, the whole story that Jesus gives is, him, is, a, is a, it's like a parable, an illustration. He's trying to illustrate the idea of servants being ready for the master, being watchful and alert. And in verse 35, Jesus says, stay dressed ready for action, and keep your lamps burning. The Greek literally says, keep your loins girded. And it's an idiom that refers to the practice of tucking the ends of your long cloak. So in the ancient world, people wore kind of like a long garment, and they would often have a belt, something that tied around the middle of that garment to kind of separate the top from the bottom. And the idea was keeping that garment tucked into the belt and as if you were about to, um, in preparation for an activity like running. And it harkens back to the Exodus story in Exodus chapter 12, on the night of the Passover meal, when the Israelites and the Hebrews were told to eat the Passover meal with their garments tucked into their, their loins, so to speak, ready to run, ready to run. Because God was bringing swift judgment on the Egyptians for their idolatry and for their wickedness. And the children of Israel, the Hebrews, were going to hightail it out of there because God ultimately was going to take them to the promised land. And so this language that Jesus says to have your, your garments ready and your, can, your lamps burning, 
harkens back to this image of the Exodus, God's people leaving as he brings judgment on the Egyptians. And he says, so keep your lamps burning like people waiting for and expecting the return of the master of the house so that when the master comes and knocks, they may open the door to him at once. The question we might want to ask is, well, how does a person stay dressed and ready for action? Because clearly, that's not the issue that Jesus is talking about. He's not saying keep your, your joggers on and your running shoes on, right? It's a metaphor. Stay dressed, right? It's a metaphor for a spiritual preparedness. Well, we've already talked about the Passover image, but one of the things I didn't mention is that they ate unleavened bread. The bread did not have time enough to rise, so they ate unleavened bread, which was, if you've ever seen a matzah cracker, you know, Jewish people eat matzah crackers, but you can eat it too if you want. It's available at the store. Um, but it's unleavened bread, and the leaven or the yeast that causes, caused the, the bread to rise became, became a symbol, a metaphor in the imagination of God's people for sin. And so to push this metaphor a little further about being prepared, hearkening back to the night of the Passover, this idea that readiness is a matter of having your sins forgiven, which means that no one can be ready for the return of Christ if their sins have not been dealt with. Now, God provided the Passover lamb, right? When the angel of death came swooping down into Egypt, they put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts so that when the angel of death came and saw the houses, he saw houses that either had the blood of the slaughtered lamb and he passed over those houses, or he saw houses that had no blood on the door and the firstborn died. That was God's judgment against the Egyptians. And so one of the things we should see is that readiness involves being covered by the blood, being covered by the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, and then the second metaphor used here is this lamp metaphor. That's people typically blew out their lamps at bedtime, but the idea is that if your lamp was burning and on even through the night, you could get up and you wouldn't stumble if something happened suddenly. Someone came to the door, you wouldn't stumble to the door because the lamp was burning. Now, Matthew also uses this. He talks about the parable of the, the foolish virgins and the wise virgins and the wise virgins keeping oil in their lamps ready at all times for the bridegroom coming. And so there's this other image here of us as believers keeping the light on or having the light of God in our lives, right? Our lamps are always burning, always on. Stay dressed, ready for action. Have your lamps burning because God's servants are always supposed to be ready and prepared for his arrival, now, I've mentioned in the past before, I think I was just at the beginning of it, and we flew through it, and we watched the whole series of Downton Abbey. And some of you, after church that day, came up and said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're like on the sixth episode or something. And um, Maribel and I watched the, the whole show of Downton Abbey. And if you, if you know about the show, um, Downton Abbey is on this massive estate. In fact, it's actually a real place in England. It's this massive estate, and in the in the, the fictional story in the show, it's the estate of an English lord, Robert Crawley, the seventh Earl of Grantham, and the Viscount of Downton. How's that for a mouthful? 
But the show is really about the servants. So there's this family that is, you know, of noble blood, and the, it's, this home has been in their, their, their family for, for centuries, and there's all these servants, and everything is so formal. They go, to, they go to dinner, the men in tuxedos every night, and the women, you know, sit in the sitting room reading a book, drinking tea with pearls and evening and, you know, beautiful gowns and white long gloves. And the whole thing, you know, the whole thing is such a formal event and a formal affair. But one of the things that struck me as I watched the show is that all these servants are always ready for the master's coming and going. So the, the um, Lord Grantham, when he leaves, they see him out and all the servants are lined up and they pack up his car. And when he's coming back, they're all there to receive him. Carson, the head butler, uh, the valet, which is... Um, uh, Lord Grantham's personal assistant, the footman to grab bags and carry them in the house, uh, the lady-in-waiting, who's the woman who kind of waits on his wife and combs her hair out and gets her garments ready. And there's this whole array of servants that are always ready to receive the master of the house every time he shows up. In fact, um, if he has a late night, they wait up late. They're always there ready to receive him. And verse 36, Jesus says, be like those who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. And blessed are his servants, blessed are these servants who the master finds awake when he comes. For he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Now, that's something you didn't really see in the show. Although there was the, the episode where there was the Christmas dinner, which actually is a real event, was a real event in England, where um, at Christmas time they would put on an event for the, actual, for the servants themselves, and they would come out and kind of party and live it up, and they would dance with you know, the master of the house. It was actually a real event. But what Jesus is focusing in on here is that by being ready at all times, by living lives of preparedness, that there's rewards, great rewards. And some of those rewards is this image of the master putting on servants' clothes and serving the servants. And the image, of course, is God's kingdom. The kingdom of God. Because when Jesus returns, he will finally, ultimately, usher in the kingdom of God in its fullness. And who gets, who gets to dine with him? Well, it's not the rich and powerful. It's the poor and the marginalized. Those people who are on the fringes of society, not the power brokers of our culture who don't care about God. They may have lots of power, lots of money, political influence. I'm not talking about affluent people in West County. I'm talking about people who run the world. Those people. Those are not the people who are going to recline at table, but the people who are on the margins, the poor, the marginalized, are welcome at his feast which he'll prepare for them who love him. Mark 10, 45 says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And this kind of throws the image of the master-servant relationship up on its head because especially in first century, in the Roman, um, first century, the Roman world, the dynamic of patron and client, which is, you know, Lord and servant was absolute. And so when Jesus gives this image that if you're faithful, 
and ready and watchful for the master's return, when he comes back, if he finds you that way, he'll become a servant, servant and serve you. And the idea is that God welcomes us into all the privileges of his divine and royal court, right, as a master. He welcomes us in. And this is radical stuff for the first century. Jesus flips this whole dynamic of relationships on its head. And he says, be ready like servants are ready to receive their master, but know that if he finds you ready, he'll serve you. There's rewards for being ready. And that's Jesus' word to us about readiness. Now, the way you can be ready is to also realize that the timing of Christ's return is an unpredictable event. In fact, some of the... I, I spent years, I spent years reading books about failed predictions about the coming of Christ. Because I grew up in a dynamic where we were always doing it. We are always trying to nail down the day and the hour and the year. And, and I've mentioned this before from the, from the pulpit here, but... Um, you know, at different times, you know, people are counting, they're counting down the days and they're trying to nail down the exact day where they can, they can make predictions and do those types of things. And as I, as I got, you know, started to get frustrated why none of these predictions ever happened, because I, I hung on every news flash, you know, as if, you know, this was Armageddon coming, you know, do, 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 news flash. I'm thinking, you know, there's war in the Middle East, you know, nuclear, you know, nuclear weapons and, and hit, this is it, this is it, y'all, this is it. And I started to get frustrated. Why, why, did, why do Christians keep, keep you know, messing this up over and over and over again? And the world is looking at us saying, you know, you guys are nuts. Well, Jesus wants us to know that his return is an unpredictable event. And so readiness always has to be balanced with the knowledge that you cannot predict the timing of his return. Look at verse 39. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he wouldn't have left his house to be broken into. You must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And there are other verses in the Bible that talk about the unpredictability of the Lord's return. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 2. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Revelation 3.3, 3. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. I was talking before we went into our sermon about people either feeling, you know, bored in their faith or not excited and others feeling super excited who may not really be acting in a way that's faithful to the word of God and the gospel. And Jesus's command for us is spiritual alertness, not necessarily exuberant excitement. Nothing wrong with being excited. I, I wish more of us were excited. I wish more of us had, you know, emotional expressions of our faith. I raise my hands here. I have like a one-song minimum every Sunday to let you all know it's okay. 
It's okay to raise our hands, you know? In fact, if one of you were to clap, we would not be upset, you know? It's like, seriously, it's like, you know, we're, we're Presbyterians and we're pretty proper, but like, it's cool to show emotion and expression. I wish we did more of that, but ultimately, the target for us is, you know, not low emotion or high emotion, but alertness, spiritual alertness, readiness, preparedness. Why? Because when the Lord returns, it'll happen like a thief. You know, in verse 40, he, he doesn't say, if you're ready, you'll know when the thief is coming. He says, if you're ready, whenever the thief comes, you'll be prepared. And this is a, a good way to help us understand the return of the Lord, because he says, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, what is the coming of the Son of Man? What is the second coming of Christ? Some of you are wondering, yeah, what happens when that, hap when that day comes? Well, Christians have believed, and Christians believe and have always believed that at Christ's second coming, Jesus will judge all mankind, finally eradicate evil and sin and wickedness, and usher in his eternal kingdom on earth. Satan and all suffering will be banished forever, and the wicked and unbelieving will be judged. Believers will receive eternal reward, and unbelievers will suffer eternal punishment. Now, I know that's not popular today, even among Christians. There was a time when you could kind of lead in a, in a Christian nation, you could lead with that. You know, you don't want to go to hell now, do you? But now it's hate speech. If I could just, you know, be real. It's, you, it's hard to talk like that nowadays, and so we have to be, you know, wise. The Bible says he's that, he that wins the soul is wise. But this is a reality, that when Jesus Christ returns, the faithful, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, will be rewarded eternally and reign with him in his eternal kingdom, which is established here on the earth. Those who have rejected it, no matter how good they are, or seem to be, those who have rejected the claims of the gospel of Christ, rejected the lordship of Christ, don't believe, for whatever reason, will not receive that eternal reward. On the contrary, they'll receive eternal punishment. This is what Christians believe. This is what Christians have always believed. This is what the Bible teaches. This also ought to be what energizes us as we pray for the lost and share the gospel with the lost, and want to see people come to repentance and be saved. We don't want to see them lose out on their eternal reward and be the objects of God's divine wrath and eternal punishment. And this is why we don't take vengeance on our enemies. This is why we love them and pray for them, because we know judgment is coming one day. I don't have to take vengeance on someone that has done me wrong, because ultimately if they don't get right with God, God's going to take care of them. I don't, as a matter of fact, God's coming divine judgment is actually a great motivation to love people who have done you wrong, to pray for them, to endure persecution in this life because God will, as the just judge, one day put all things to rights. God will judge the wicked. God sees all acts of 
cruelty and uh, persecution against his people and injustice in the world. God sees all, and he will not hold the guilty blameless. This is how we can love our enemies, because God, the ultimate judge, will judge. As a matter of fact, Acts 17.31, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God has fixed a day. We don't know what that day is, but in the mind of God, from eternity past, it's on the calendar. That day of judgment, Christ's return, is on the calendar. And let me tell you something, it's going to happen. Nothing will alter that day. He has fixed a day. It it doesn't mean he's thinking about a day, but he hasn't kind of nailed the date down yet. He has fixed a day. He has determined a day in the future on which he will judge the world in righteousness through the man he has appointed, and that is Jesus. And he's given us this assurance that the judgment of all people will happen by raising Jesus from the dead. That was his assurance to us. You want to know with with absolute certainty that God will be faithful and judge the world he, rose, he, he, he raised Jesus from the dead. In last week's sermon, we discussed the rich man who didn't include God in his plans, right? You remember that last week? He had a, a bountiful harvest. He had all this grain. He says, my barns aren't big enough to hold my grain. I know what I'll do. I'll tear my barns down, and I'll build bigger barns, right? Instead of sharing with his neighbors and, you know, that kind of stuff. And he said, soul, take thine ease, right? He says, you know, soul, be comforted. Right? Now you have all this grain, you have all this money, you have all these possessions, you're good to go, everything's fine. And God says, you fool, tonight your soul is required of you. And whose, whose will your possessions become? Right? Everyone who you kept them back from. He was caught in a moment where he was not expecting, living in a way prepared and ready for the Lord's return. Because in, in, in some ways, when death meet, happens to you, that is the Lord's return for you. That is your judgment day, right? So, so, so if we don't live to see the return of the Lord, that day meets us at the day we die. And if we're not living a life that is ready and prepared and looking and expecting and alert, right, then death catches us unaware like the rich man who's a fool in God's eyes because he didn't include God in all of his plans. Nothing wrong with having lots of grain. Nothing wrong necessarily with building bigger barns. But he thought that his soul could could be comforted with that. His soul could be comforted in his possessions, right? In his retirement account or his, uh, in how many cars he had or how big his house was or whatever it was, right? The modern equivalent. See, because when that day comes, there is no getting ready. You have to stay ready. So you don't have to get ready. Because when the judgment comes, there's no time. When Jesus Christ returns, there is no getting ready. I, worked, I told you I worked in a grocery store for a long time, and um, there were the meat cutters in the back, the journeyman union butchers. And then there was the young apprentices. And the young apprentices, were, they, were, you know, they had their white apron on, now, I wasn't in the meat department, but I would see these guys. And they were always running over. The young guys were always running over the time. 
They're supposed to be, you know, everything shuts down at 9, but 9.15, they're still, you know, washing down the counters and cleaning. And one of them had a conversation with one of the journeymen, the journeyman butchers, who said, you want to know why you're always running late? Because you try to get ready when it's time to go home. He said, I start wrapping things up at a quarter till so that at nine on the dot, I'm ready to go. He said, I stay ready so I don't have to get ready. We're supposed to stay ready. That's, that's the whole point of this passage. Jesus is saying, stay ready. Stay prepared. Be ever watchful. And watchfulness becomes a metaphor for how believers are to live their lives in this world. If we stay on high alert, that day, either Christ's return or the day we die, does not catch us like a thief in the night. Calvin said, Christ shows us the manner in which believers ought to conduct their pilgrimage in the world, telling his disciples to be ready and equipped for the journey and not to become fixated on the course of this life, for when it is all said and done, we are but strangers in this dark world. Therefore, we keep our lamps burning as we wait for him. I hope you're keeping your lamps burning this morning. I hope you're living your lives in a state of constant readiness, constant watchfulness, Yes, we can't predict the return of the Lord. Yes, we, we shouldn't lose sleep over that, trying to nail that day down. It may come in our lifetime, it may not, but the idea is we ought to be ready if it does. Let's see what time it is. I'm already over my time, and there's another probably six or seven verses where Jesus unpacks the parable a little more by talking about someone who becomes lax, a servant who becomes lax because the master delays his coming. He beats the other servants, eats, drinks, and gets drunk. And the master comes back and finds this servant has not been doing what he was supposed to do. There's a price to pay. Now, I don't want to get too far afield, and I want to wrap this sermon up. But I want you to know that this is not a message to you that you should be afraid about whether you're saved or not. That you should worry from day to day how ready or prepared you are. Oh, I'm more prepared today than yesterday. Oh, yesterday I wasn't thinking much about the return of Christ. Am I even saved? That's not the point. As a matter of fact, we believe that we are eternally secure because of God's pursuing grace for us. But God uses verses like this for, to, to make us diligent. How does God cause us to persevere? Unto the end, how does God secure us in our salvation and cause us to constant readiness and faithfulness? Well, he's given us a good word, a sure word and warning in Scripture. And when God's people, we read this, we say, yeah, I don't want to be like that servant who slacked off and got complacent. I want to be ready. I want, to, I want when the master comes to see me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the glory of your Lord, enter the rest of your Lord. We all want to hear that on that day. Whether the Lord returns in this, in our lifetimes, or whether we live out our lives and die and wake up to see him in his judgment and his glory. Let's pray.